Welcome to another Investor Investor podcast. I'm here with Jessica Dick, who is Investment Manager at Synergy Growth, as well as co-founder of Five Years Time. So Jessica, if you could give listeners a bit of your background. Hi, so I'm Jess. I initially started sort of in the startup or investment world about three years ago. So I started working at a company called Synergy Energy, which is now called Synergy Growth. So we are part of a family office run by an angel investor, and we're essentially a small investment fund investing in clean technology businesses. Since 2011, we've invested in about 30 different startups. We started in clean technology, sort of more engineering type companies, companies doing some research and development in that space. And then we moved on to more social impact startups, some more commercial ones, just B2B or B2C software startups. So mainly in the UK, some in the US, and then on the social impact side, a couple sort of working in Africa as well. Are there any companies that we would have heard of? On the podcast, yes. We are investors in Vantage Power, which I think you've had on the podcast. I think that might be the only one so far, but we have a lot of investments in common with Peter. Um, So one of the original founders of Synergy Growth was a lovely man called Nat Billington. He was very close to Peter and they did a lot of investments together in the early days of Synergy Growth. So there are a few common stories between Peter and, and Synergy Growth. With Synergy Growth, what sort of percentage are you successes and failures? So we don't really know yet. I think in total we invested in about 30. We've had, I think, about five probably closed down, but a lot of them are still going. I would say we have sort of five that are probably going to do really well or look like they're going to do really well at this point. So I think we're looking sort of slightly higher than the one in 10 ratio, but we don't know yet. I think this year will be probably the first year that we're expecting sort of one of our significant exits. So um, 2018 is is going to be a big year for us, hopefully. A large part of the investor investor is to learn from mistakes and failure as well as success. So can you elaborate on any of these companies that have closed down? Any reasons why? Not the actual names of companies, if you want to leave that out. but Yeah, I think the reasons vary quite widely. I think a couple of them got to market too late or by the time they'd, you know, they'd done enough work on the technology, found the right technology and found the, the right markets and bigger players had just taken over and it was just, it was just too late. Because as I said, we invest at very early stage, you know, really sort of research and development stage for a lot of the companies. And so sometimes they've just been a little bit slower than other companies. And so that's one of the main reasons. Other reasons, I think, you know, just, just the funding running out. So them not being able to secure further funding. And of course, there's always a reason for that, right? It might be that they, they haven't commercialized quickly enough. And so they're not able to raise further investment at a certain point. You know, investors want, you know, when you're doing bigger rounds, they want to see real proof of product market fit and real sort of signs of, of commercialization. So if that doesn't happen, I think even existing investors will continue investing for so long. And I think, you know, we've had an interesting time in the last couple of years where we've had to make that decision on, you know, how much do we follow on in companies that, that we invested at an early stage, you know, which, you know, you can't follow on in all of them. You want to back the winners. But at the same time, you know, you get attached to the entrepreneurs, you want to support them. You always think that there might be a way through. So we've had to make quite a lot of decisions around that, which has been, you know, quite interesting and definitely learned a lot in that process. Yeah. Do you sit on the boards then? So we used to sit on the board sort of at, or with a director seat with Nat. We have a couple of observer seats, which I normally take on for the angels. So yes, yeah, so we don't have sort of decision making at board level, but we're reasonably significant when it comes to shareholder decisions. Okay. So aside from synergy growth, what's your passion as you said, I'm co-founder of a consultancy partnership and now an online business called Five Years Time with a lady called Natalie Tulip, who's not with us today because she's about to have a baby. And really the passion behind that is just to help entrepreneurs sort of even start thinking about this idea of investment and seeking investment. So 
throughout my time at Synergy, when I got to a point where I know what I was doing, because I'm not from this background, so it took me a while to get up to speed and understand it all. And then I got to a point where I was managing the portfolio and that was going quite smoothly. I had a lot of time to do other things. So I started doing quite a lot of mentoring and meeting a lot of entrepreneurs within accelerators and incubators. And I was always quite surprised at how little they understood investors and how investors make decisions and why they make certain decisions. And potentially there's a bit of a demonization of investors, you know, thinking that they're only looking for one thing and don't really understand the entrepreneur and the founder. So I sort of set out on on a mission to introduce entrepreneurs to that, demystify the whole process for investors and really simplify it. I think even when, so when I started with at Synergy, you know, I was sent into board meetings as a board observer. I didn't always understand what was going on. There was a lot of jargon used it was a lot of much older guys in suits and I you know, didn't always quite understand what was going on, all the words being used. And actually, a lot of it is quite simple. There's just a whole language that goes with it that you need to start understanding. But once you sort of get over the hurdle of the jargon, it's all pretty much basic business concepts that founders you know, have the ability to understand. They just need a little bit of you know, an education around that whole space. So that's really my passion, just to, to make it easier for them to understand and digest and therefore increase their chances of actually securing investment, wiring an investor and And I think also finding the right investor. So I met a lot of entrepreneurs who consider investment way too late. They take money from the wrong person and that always creates problems down the line. I've seen what a good board or a good set of investors can do for a company. And I've seen what, you know, disengaged investors or not having investors involved at all can also do. And and the benefit of having a really active, supportive investor base can really do wonders for a company. And I think, you know, Vantage Power is definitely an example of that for me. I just think they, they have a really fantastic board. So having seen how much an investor can can play that role, helping a company find the right one is actually crucial to their success, I think. So that's also part of what we're trying to do. Do you find that entrepreneurs find it hard to ask for help? I don't think they find it hard to ask for help. They love asking for help and they'll take help from anyone, but they don't necessarily know what they want help with and why. And so they'll take a lot of help. They'll actually sometimes take quite a lot of people's time and then they won't be very good at deciding which help to take and not take and sometimes be quite ungrateful for that help, I found. And that's not all entrepreneurs, and most of them, I think, do appreciate advice that's given. But I think, you know, when, when you ask for help, you need to be very clear on what you want help, help of. Actually, most people that you ask help from are always happy to help in general, you know, in this space. People love to share. You know, that's why investors invest. They share their network. They open up their experience, their skills. But you need to know what you want and what you want help with. And it's much easier for people to help you if you know what you want help with. So I think they find it easy to ask for help, but it's about the right kind of help. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs in that situation? Though, How do they figure out what they actually need help with? I think from a really basic point, it, it always starts with the team. So at a very early stage, again, we, we look at very early stage companies. They'll typically have a set of skills or a couple of set of skills that are really missing for their business to have success. So typically the first area where they might want help is within that skill set. Um, so that's a good place to start is like what might be missing in the team that your business needs in order to be successful. And that might be the right area already to ask for help. And then I think it's asking the right person for that help and making sure that that they're the right person to provide that. And I think what can be difficult for investors and sometimes entrepreneurs ask for a lot of help and a lot of advice, and then they don't necessarily take on that advice, which is fine, but it can be quite disheartening for advisors, investors, mentors, you know, anyone who's offering a lot of help and a lot of advice and then seeing their advice always sort of disregarded. So I think there's also a little bit of relationship building now on, Perhaps if somebody's given an entrepreneur quite a lot of time and then you've gone against their advice, sort of explaining why you might have actually decided to take someone else's advice and just going back to them on that. Because it's, it, it's a big time investment. And sometimes I've seen entrepreneurs with who it's sort of happened time, time and time again. 
So I think just to, to manage that, I think people are giving away a lot of their free time and their skills and their experience. So I think, you know, it's, it's good to be appreciative of that. So what is it that five years time does? How do you help entrepreneurs? So we provide training and investment readiness in lots of different ways. But the key point is that we provide training in a very digestible, easy way for entrepreneurs. So we try to explain the investment space and then give actionable insights so that people can take action directly from the content that they read from us. So we do workshops, we have a lot of online training, we have templates, downloadables, we've got some online courses as well. And the idea is that after they've seen that content, they can directly go and do something with that, whether it's preparing their pitch deck, preparing how they're going to start approaching investors, preparing how they start researching investors. The idea is that we make it very easy to use straight away. Really, it's for entrepreneurs who are typically from a different background, you know, very technical entrepreneurs typically you see you see in this space who just need to know what they need to do quite quickly. So just understand it and then put it into action straight away. And what we found was that a lot of the advice online is done, you know, either by accountants or by lawyers. It can be quite heavy. It can be quite jargony. It's typically very long written articles, long blogs, which is quite hard to digest when you're on the go or to have time to read. So we, that's why we're quite video-based and quite sort of bite-sized so that people can absorb the information a little bit quicker and then sort of take action with it. That's very much what we're about. Okay. So what's your key advice to be investment ready? My key advice is make sure you have enough time. Don't start too late. Once you've got time, you can then figure out all the rest. But the, the hardest thing is when you're rushed, when you're running out of cash and you need to get investors quickly, then it's very likely that you're going to choose the wrong investor or get the wrong deal or even potentially, you know, miss some key information and not necessarily be aligned with the investor just because you haven't had the time to really build yourself up and build the best case for your investment. So that would be number one, sort of make sure you start early enough. You know, typically it can take a good six months to raise investment. You know, that's an average. That's not even the longest that it takes. So make sure you have that sort of runway so that you can raise the investment in the best way for your company. So at what point should an entrepreneur seek investment? So first of all, I guess they need to make sure that investment is right for them and for the type of company that they build. Investment's not right for anyone and, and it's definitely for companies that can grow quite quickly into a very big size. But at the point at which they think they might need investment, typically they need to be at a certain point in their journey. So we typically look at what we call the five minimum requirements. So there's five things that you should have in place in your company before you go out to raise investment. You might not have all five, but if you have a, a good combination of three of them, you can then raise your round to achieve the other two. So those five minimum requirements are number one is a minimum viable product or an MVP, as we call it in the startup world. So just a basic version of your product that you've tested and that you've put in the hands of users. So before you spend too much time on it or spend too much money, you've created a product that has sort of the basic features and the basic functionality of what you're going to be selling. And that essentially shows the investor that, first of all, you're able to build something. You're not just idea stage, but you can get something off the ground. And it also allows you to get feedback for your product and to see how people are interacting with it and how they're using it. So that's the first one. The second one is a credible team. So just making sure that you have a team around you. I mean, there are sole founders out there. What in my experience within, especially the angel community, it's quite hard to get funding as a sole founder. They typically like a combination of two or three founders. Again, this is really to do with risk. It's just less risky to invest in more than one individual. And also you'll have a bigger set of skills. Typically, they want to see a, a complementarity of skills as well on the founder team so that not all the team are effectively the same person, but they have skills in different areas of the business. The third one is a viable business model. So even though they might not be charging for their product yet, that they have an idea on how they're going to make money 
um, you know, what their unit economics are and how they're going to charge for their product and how much they're going to charge for their product. And does that make sense? And do the numbers stack up? The fourth one is early signs of product market fit. So typically product market fit can take a while. I think a lot of companies potentially don't really achieve it until after their first round or even their, their second round. But it's more about, you know, showing early signs of traction, essentially. So make sure you have a customer base that have good things to say about your product, that you have partnerships in place and that you can show that, you know, some big names are really to, to talk to or want to talk to you, that you've had press coverage or anything like that, essentially showing that you're on the right track and that people are responding well to your product. And then the, is that four? Have I done four? Yeah. yeah. So the fifth one. one is essentially just a strong plan for your growth so that you know what you're going to do with that money once it hits your bank account and how you're going to achieve of the growth, at least for sort of the next 12 to 24 months. So how you will use that money in the best way to essentially grow the value of the business and therefore grow the shareholders value share. Okay. So I'm an entrepreneur. I've ticked yeah. all the five boxes. Yeah. What's my ideal investor? Who do I target? Depends on, first of all, what sector you're in, I would say, what type of product you've built and what exactly are you leveraging? So are you leveraging a new business model? Are you entering a new market? Are you building a new technology? All you know, investors come in different shape and sizes. Some investors are really focused on the team and the founders. Some are interested in innovative business models. Some just like really innovative products. You know, and some like you know exploring new markets. So it really, really depends on on where your unique selling point lies. What is your strength? What differentiates you from the crowd of other startups fundraising? And then investors will typically have a preference or something that they're really focusing on. Although they'll take a portfolio approach, so they'll they'll typically have a variation you will see them specialise at a certain stage or in a certain sector or in a certain type of product. Do you think that an entrepreneur should try and aim to get an investor that has been within their own industry on their board or as a lead investor or anything like that? Do you think that's a requirement? I wouldn't say it's a requirement. I think, again, it depends what the founder skills are because it's all about complementarity. So if a founder you know, has solid foundations in that sector themselves, actually it could be quite interesting for them to have a perspective of another sector because there's always lessons that can be learned and I think that's when actually some very exciting things have happened in the startup space, potentially, where you've seen stuff that's been applied for years in a certain industry applied to another. But if the founders are launching in an industry that they really don't understand or that they don't know, then yes, it's absolutely crucial for them to get that as part of the mix. Should almost see, I think, early stage investors in terms of skills and experience as an extension of the founding team at, at an early stage and seeing what they can bring that you don't currently have. Okay, so what else are you doing with five years time at the moment? So we've just launched our online course, which is the basics of investment readiness. So it's a series of online modules and um, accompanied with a lot of templates and downloadables to help essentially a first-time founder get ready for their first professional fundraise. So introducing them to what raising investment really means and then how you start preparing for that, both on the sort of investment pack side and sort of how you start to get your ducks in a row. And then also how you start approaching and speaking to investors and how do you manage the whole fundraising process. So that's really exciting. And then also we're in discussion with Crowdcube on becoming one of their partners on helping their companies get investment ready so that they're ready to launch on their platform. So that's something else that we're doing at the moment and sort of launching a specific course with sort of a Crowdcube angle. So no doubt you're extremely busy with Synergy and with five years time. Is there anything else going on? And so I've also started working on another project, which is a little bit different, but very, very interesting for me with DFID, so the Department for International Development. So originally, actually, my academic life was in development. So I did a bachelor's degree and a master's in the field of development and then went on to work in the private sector. But now I'm working on a project with DFID called Learn Adapt, which is essentially trying to 
use lessons from the startup community and sort of lean startup methods and applying that to adaptive programming. So to, to ensure that their programs stay adaptive and adapt to the times and to changing context. So doing a lot of work with them on that, which they're calling lean impact. So um, really looking at making them more impactful. And I'm specifically advising on how relationships between early stage investors and startups can translate to relationships between how Diffid works with their partners as well. So yeah, it's really, really exciting, completely new world for me, but it's interesting to see how lessons from this sector can apply to a, a more public sector organisation and how that can sort of really help and have impact sort of on a wider scale. Well, Jess, that's been absolutely brilliant. We've learned a hell of a lot and I hope all the best for five years time, Synergy and your new partnership advising for Difford. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Invested Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investedinvestor.com, or via a number of podcast platforms online. Signed pre-orders for our Invested Investor book are now available on our website. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting, and insightful content from The Invested Investor. Investor.